Jesse. I'm, I'm still Scott. All right. Are you sure? All right, wait a minute. <laughs> this week, hey, from last week. Yeah, I'm sure. All right. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Um, hey, new arrivals. Big week. Yeah. yeah. Big, big week. The fir- first thing, uh, the last theorem this by... It's a nine-day uh, week. Uh, what are you talking about? It's a big week. It is a much big week. Much bigger week than normal. <laughs> you know? Much bigger. When new you have and a, improved. just a normal week, it's seven days. This is a nine-day week. This is a nine-day week. That's yeah. excellent. I think we should have that. We got it. That's what we have here. <clears throat> okay. Well, during this big week, we got the last theorem by Clark and uh, Frederick Pohl, I, which you talked about last good. week as a new release and a desired audiobook. It's a recent arrival, then. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yum, recent yum. arrival. Recent arrivals. These are recent arrivals. These are things we actually have. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's here. Um, number two, exciting. Carnival by Elizabeth Bear from Recorded Books uh, has a new imprint. They call it Sci-Fi. And uh, they've been publishing some... I, I call it the, the literary end of science fiction, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, you know, they, they do, uh, like, Octavia Butler and... Um, they had a Joe Haldeman novel called The Accidental Time I actually Machine. want to talk about that one today. Okay. Yep. And, um, but anyway, this is one of their newest ones. It's uh, called Carnival by Elizabeth Bear. Um, we've got an Elizabeth Bear uh, author page on the website. Sure do. And uh, she has a... Th- there's a story called The Something Dreaming Game, which was both an escape pod episode and... It was included in uh, many masterpieces of science fiction from Infinibot. Is that on there too? In- uh, no, it's not. We need to update. It. You you mention it in the in the thing. You say, "Hey, this is coming." So yeah, yeah. We need to update her page with these two things. We can do that. And in fact, she's got a uh, up and coming also from recorded books. Right on the front page of their science fiction thing is a novel called Undertow, but it hasn't been released yet. Okay. So that's exciting, and it's read by Celeste, and I have no idea how to pronounce this last name, C-I-U-L-L-A. Oh. So this is a narrator I haven't heard before, so... They've got a few of those, haven't they? Yeah, but recorded books has always been narrator-focused. Unlike, you know, um, Blackstone Audio is narrator-focused now, but in the early days... Um, I, I don't think that they were. I, I remember listening to a few things that I thought were kind of rough. <laughs> you know, actually, I was reading about um, Blackstone uh, yesterday, I think it was. I was writing up a new publisher page. And um, did you see that? It's wonderful. Anyways, oh, I have not yet. Oh, it's it's lovely. I took off all that sidebar stuff down and, and made a separate page for it. It actually it makes the front page bigger. Sorry about that. Hey, cool. But That's exciting. And interesting. Um <laughs> So I was reading that uh, Grover Gardner. Uh, the reason we're not hearing him any anymore is it sounds like he's he's like the guy in charge of their uh, uh, supervising their narrations now. Oh yeah, yeah. We I, we we're hearing him in our house. Oh really? He's, uh, he's still doing um, all of the Lois McMaster Bujold ah right, uh, right. novels. Yeah, I haven't heard one yeah. of those for a while. So he's releasing at least one of those a month. I don't know what else he's doing, but. Uh, he's supervising so he's, the he's other, other folks, I guess. So he's in charge of uh, 
selecting narrators and stuff. I guess, like that, uh, or supervising the in-house narration. I'm not sure exactly. Maybe it's the uh, the um, the guy sitting in the booth saying, "Oh, you got that line wrong," or something. Okay, it. L. Ron Hubbard, Galaxy Press. Um, they have sent us two titles. Um, they're, they're short stories on two CDs from the pulp era of science fiction. But actually, they're they're going to release eighty of these audiobooks. With they, they've all got gorgeous covers on them. Um, two CDs each from every genre he wrote in. I'm guessing. Um, I've got a little catalog here: far flung adventure. Um, Air Adventure so uh, they're going to be publishing a lot of these uh, I'm looking forward to any ones with Zeppelins anything with Zeppelins <laughs> cool. Zeppelins if you want to if, if, cool. uh, listen out their authors if you want to have a uh, a positive review just put Zeppelins in your novel doesn't matter if the oh. novel's any good if it has Zeppelins in it it's getting a positive review alright well uh, potential, potential Zeppelins in uh, L. Ron Hubbard's Writers of the Future, number 24, which uh, I've downloaded from Audible. It's not available in hard copy, but it is published by Galaxy Press through Audible, as I understand it. And um, that is also an arrival, and I'm, I've started listening to that one. How is it? Good so far, you know. Um, I just finished uh, Spin, so I'm getting ready to jump in on this one. Um, but I've listened to a portion of the first short story is all I've done. Gotcha. But last year, the the number twenty three that was the one of the best audiobooks I heard all last year. Did they um, turn that it into was a, a movie? excellent collection. What's that? Did they turn that into a movie? The the writers of the future number twenty three. The number twenty three. Oh, I thought it was twenty one. No, the number twenty three, just starring Jim Carrey. I haven't seen it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't turn the book. That you're talking about into the novel, but they I see the story. Twenty three. Did they copyright the number twenty three so we can't use it anymore? I believe so. Like twenty three is the new thirteen or something like that. That's right. That's right. We're running out of numbers, man. Yes, we are. All right, Paul of Dune, Brian Herbert, and Kevin J. Anderson. Uh, This is in from Macmillan Audio. It's read by Scott Brick. Um, He reads uh, most of the the Dune novels that are. uh, written by Herbert and Anderson. Uh, Scott Bricks does most of those. And this one, apparently, <clears throat> you know, I thought they were done. But they, they've gone back, and this is supposed to fill in the gap between Dune and Dune Messiah, if I read this correctly. Okay. Yeah, what happened between Dune and Dune Messiah? Well, this book tells you. Okay. So, we got that. Have a conversion and on the way to uh, Arrakis. <laughs> and this is uh, going to be interesting. Um, it's a book called The Little Book by Selden Edwards. That's the one you were looking um, read, read by Jeff Woodman, yeah, and this is on my uh, my list very shortly. Um, this it, it looks to me, you know, this kind of came recommended, basically one of those things um, that uh, we noticed that it had come recommended. Yeah, somebody and, on the uh, 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 Audible group or... Yeah, on the on the audiobook group. Audio right. audiobook Yahoo group. Exactly, and um, it, it looks to me, you know, there's a trend going on right now. You know, it, you got the Road by Cormac McCarthy wins the Pulitzer Prize. Um, the Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by um, Michael Chabon. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chabon, I, I can't remember how Chabon. you pronounce his last name. I need to pronounce these before podcasting. 
Anyway, um, he wrote uh, The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. That run a Pulitzer Prize. And then his Yiddish Policeman's Union wins the Hugo and the Nebula. But but it's interesting. I mean, these writers, uh, they're, they're almost outside the genre. And I've heard the word post-genre being flown around, but I am not sure. There's um, there's a guy named exactly Brad Meltzer who's sort of in the same mm-hmm. situation. He's got a new book coming called The Book of Lies. Mm-hmm. Did you see the trailer on, on the website for it? No, I did not. Oh, well, you should read my posts more. <laughs> um, it's, uh, uh, it's, um, it sounds really interesting. There's a couple of um, – actually, there's a couple of uh, – interviews and stuff on the internet forum as well um in which it, it, Meltzer's like a he's a he's a uh fiction author who's really into comic books so his novels tend to be uh sort of about comic books um mm-hmm. and um this book of lies sounds very strange uh but it's got huge endorsements from uh you know everybody from Christopher Hitchens to um Joss Whedon which is kind of a big gap uh, yeah, but the idea behind it is um, Cain and Abel. Uh, their story is documented in the Bible, um, and uh, Superman's story is documented in Superman comic books. But did you know that they're connected? Hmm. Um, and they're connected to the family of uh, Joe Siegel, <laughs> the guy who created Superman, which is interesting. Right. And um, uh, here's a, here's a question for you. Uh, what was uh, the murder weapon that Cain used to kill Abel? Uh, boy, I do not it's know. It's not listed. It's deliberately not talked about. And so the Book of Lies uncovers this uh, this murder weapon. Ah, it's an interesting. interesting. It, it's sort of a hybrid of uh, history and um, uh, biblical studies and um, and comic books, which is certainly not the traditional... SF we've come to know and love. Hmm. But maybe we'll come and know to love this. <laughs> Interesting. Right? right. So, yeah, so there's this trend, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, the main it's like mainstream fiction has discovered science fiction. And these, uh, these folks are writing it, and, um, you know, it's being awarded and, and sold like crazy. So uh, the little book appears to be a time travel novel. Um, so I'd say a mainstream time travel novel, but I'm I'm eager to to listen. Cool. A few new releases. One's called uh, "My Name Is Red," and um, this came up in the Random House, you know, um, email telling of new uh, new releases and I and I thought, yep, another title I'm not interested in. and then I noticed, hey, Orhan Pamuk. Haven't you heard of Orhan Pamuk? Orhan Pamuk. Come on, man, Orhan Pamuk. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, it's not coming to me, but uh, I recognize the name uh, from this podcast I listen to called um, Entitled Opinions, which I think has one of the best names oh. for a podcast ever. I think we should just Change our name to Entitled Opinions. But um, Entitled Opinions is like a super intellectual uh, a podcast by a um, University of Stanford radio station, a professor mm-hmm. of English and uh, English and Italian, no, French and Italian, puts out this show. And he has the weirdest guests ever. 
awesome, weird guests, uh, people you've uh-huh. never heard of, people I've never heard of. One of them was Orhan Pamuk, a friend of his, um, who's like the he's like the biggest author in in um, Turkey. And uh, hmm. this is a translation of his novel. Um, and because I, I thought the interview was interesting that, that I heard with Orhan Pamuk, I thought, well, I'll, I'll read the description on this one. Cause, uh, and I, I had to look it up because it wasn't out, given out with a Manor House release. But a long story short, uh, it's got sort of a fantastic element to it. So the description is, the Sultan had commissioned a cadre of the most acclaimed artist in the land to create a great book celebrating the glories of his realm. Their task, to illuminate the work in the European style. But because figurative art can be deemed an affront to Islam, this commission is dangerous position indeed. The ruling elite, therefore, mustn't know the full scope or nature of the project, and panic erupts when the, one of the miniaturists disappears. The only clue to his mystery or crime lies in the half-finished illuminations themselves. Still doesn't sound like a science fiction or fantasy or anything like that. Well, first chapter is narrated by a dead guy, so uh, <laughs> extending the uh, fant- fantastic out into uh, into that, I, I I thought it would be good to mention it because um, I hear he's a really good writer. Great, and uh, it sounds it sounds interesting. Yeah, that sounds that sounds very interesting. Yeah, I think it's set during the um, the Ottoman Empire, so. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been uh, watching a lot of documentaries and stuff about the uh, old Ottoman Empire, and amazing. Uh, you know, Turkey has one of the most amazing histories uh, ever, and nobody mm-hmm. knows about it in, yeah. in Europe and North America. There. Also, <laughs> I noticed uh, this is uh, this is sort of getting out there, but it's coming out end of the month. It says um, mm-hmm. Blackstone's got a new Michael Flynn novel coming. Oh, Eiffelheim. Well, it's not Eiffelheim. It's called the January Dancer. I've never yeah, he wrote he wrote Eiffelheim and uh, Blackstone released that as well. That yeah, yeah. That's why that's what made me uh, look this one up. Um, uh, January ten, the January Dancer tells a fateful story of an ancient pre-human artifact of great power and the people who found it. So it's a big dumb object story. Sounds like uh, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, Eiffelheim was kind of a. I think it was 14th century. It was <laughs> it was like a you know there was a priest in there from from long ago. I, I'm going to guess 14th century, um, Middle Ages. But anyway, it was a story, so it was set in the past. But then it was like an alien encounter story in the past. Here's, and then here now here's he's doing the, the same thing, but he's going to pre-human. Well, we'll see. Starting with Captain oh. Amos January, the uh, who quickly loses it, and then the others who fought, schemed and killed to get it. We travel around the complex, decadent, brawling, mongrelized interstellar human civilization that the artifact might save or destroy. Collectors want the dancer. Uh, pirates, uh, oh, sorry. Collectors want the dancer. Pirates take it. Rulers crave it. And all will kill, if necessary, to get it. This is a thrilling yarn of love, revolution, music, and mystery. And it ends, as all great stories do, with a shock and a beginning. It, it should be all right. You, you like Dive Yeah, it sounds good. I, I, like, I like Michael Flynn, so I'll definitely read it. Cool, cool. And uh, this last one, um, the, it's really hard to keep up with everything that's even coming out on audiobooks.com. Uh, but this one um, has a really good... Uh, description, really short description, and uh, you know, it's like tailor made for me. So, um, this is the description of a new uh, collection of short stories called The Kiribati Test. This is the description. 
a kick-ass sci-fi crime fiction collection in the tradition of Philip K. Dick and Jim Thompson. That's the entire <laughs> description. Um, if you mention Philip K. Dick, that's uh, you know tells you something. And Jim Thompson, people who don't know Jim Thompson, man, that guy can write a write a book. Hmm. Scary. Is it what scary. what he writes? Uh, crime like noir stuff. Or yeah, super okay, super, stuff? super noir stuff. Um, stuff where uh, you know the narrator is a crazy murderer um, who's killing people um, for no apparent reason. And you sympathize with him, <laughs> um, or um, uh, novels. Uh, you know, um, the, what you would probably know him from. He wrote a book called his most famous book is called The Grifters, which got turned into oh, yeah. uh, with a very depressing yeah. ending. Um, mm-hmm. It's very much uh, it's faithful to the book, fairly faithful, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot well, of that's good. I did see that movie. Yeah, a lot of his books are um, sort of str- they're strangely written. They're, they're actually they're kind of like um, if Philip K. Dick was not a science fiction writer, if he was a crime writer, they might be very similar because the characters are sort of uh, losers, uh, losers who who somehow uh, manage to gain your sympathy while being very strange and um, immoral. Hmm. So that's coming out on audiobooks.com. I don't know how good it'll be, but it sounded interesting. Worth a shot, huh? Well, I've got a new release as well. Big, big day. Big, big day. How many hours in a big, big day? Uh, 27.5, I believe. (laughs) All right. Um, Macmillan Audio, um, on September the 8th, which I think is tomorrow, um, Anathem by Neil Stevenson. Yeah, yeah, you've been trying to pump this book, haven't you? <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait. It's, uh, you know, 900 pages of uh, oh my uh, God. excellent, I'm sure. That's a big, big so book. I, how, yeah, big, how big is a big, I'm, big I'm book? Up, 900 I'm pages. Looking, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you said you hadn't read uh, or heard even. I haven't heard any yet. Uh, Snow Crash and... Um, the Diamond Age, Snow Crash and the Diamond Age. I've heard good things. You know, this is something that you know I've I've talked about doing. You know, when we started doing SFF Audio Essentials, mm-hmm. you know, obviously we'd been doing the site for a while before we started doing that. Obviously. So there are some, as you well know, Scott, things in our backlist <laughs> of reviews that need to probably be updated with yes. a essential and um, both Snow Crash and the Diamond Age are absolutely wonderful audiobooks. They're, they're great. I've heard good. First time I heard Jonathan Davis, he read uh, Snow Crash. It's fantastic. So I'm, I'm looking up Anathem on the Macmillan site here to see uh, if they... Is it, they is it coming uh, to CD or are they releasing it on Audible? They're doing both. Um, yeah, 34 hours. That is Woo! one long book. <laughs> this is good stuff. You know, Macmillan... Has been publishing a lot of really big ones. I mean, the uh, they do uh, Robert Jordan's stuff. You know, yeah. th- those are huge. And then um, David Weber has been writing a series. Um, the The latest one is called "By Schism Rent Asunder," and it's giant as well. Um, yeah, that seems to be the trend. So they're no, they're no, you know, they're not scared of 
you know, giant audiobooks. Now, you know, uh, Neil Stevenson is interesting to talk about in, in himself from the audio standpoint because um, Cryptonomicon, which is also a giant book, was released in kind of a different way. Um, they, they released it as unabridged excerpts. Yeah, I think I, that was fantastic they, audio, wasn't it? Yeah, and they, they weren't prepared to... Uh, well, it was on cassette, too, 30, I believe. Yeah. So. <laughs> they weren't prepared to release a 34-hour audiobook at that time. And they weren't. They didn't want to abridge it. I, uh, Stefan Rudnicki and I talked about it once. And um, they, they didn't want to abridge it because Neil Stevenson, part of his appeal is the style of his writing. Yeah. So, so instead of doing either of those two things, what they did is they, they took sections of the novel and... Uh, read them unabridged. So the, the audiobook is kind of different. And, and what's interesting is um, the, the first audiobooks from Kaidman, you know, nobody would even consider abridging anything. You know, I'm, I'm not sure how that all got started, but what they would do, you know, on one cassette, you'd have Arthur C. Clarke reading two chapters of 2001 A Space Odyssey yeah. or uh, something like that, or they'd do short stories, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't take a novel and abridge them. Um, well, you know, it'd be interesting to look up what the first abridgments were, but the first ones I know of were from Walden tapes, and you know they were not bad. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed yeah, those. Yeah, the Walden tapes stuff is, uh, is interesting and and very collectible. Yeah, and uh, what you know, two cassettes. I, I recall. Not all of them are abridged. Some of them are short stories. Yes, yeah, true. They did a Harlan Ellison, and uh, they they did a Robert A. Heinlein too. Did they? That one I didn't know about. Green Hills Birth. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, I remember the, the, the ones that I liked, um, they did The Gods Themselves on two cassettes. Yep. And that was by uh, Isaac Asimov. And they did uh, Rendezvous with Rama by Arthur C. Clarke, which I loved. And I, I don't think I still have that one. I've got it. And then Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke on two cassettes. That was, was, a, really that was a good abridgment. Yeah, I really, really loved that one. Um, but those are the ones that I remember, you know, off the top of my head. And um, anyway, yeah, they were abridged. But but you know, we, we were talking about uh, last week. You know, we, we talked about Star Wars and Star Trek briefly. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I I generally dislike abridgments. But a Star Trek novel, I really enjoy in an abridgment um, because it, their, their abridgments are almost like a production. You know, it's a, it's almost like uh, taking a novel and translating it into a film. They they take the novel and they translate it into this abridged production, and it, you know, it's at least as good as a movie. You know, with the Star Trek novel. So you know, and I guess you know, part of why I say that is because it is highly produced. There's sound effects in it, and there's um, music in it. Um, which again, I generally do not like, but in a Star Trek novel, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because you know, hey, you you do one quick sound and you're on the bridge of the Enterprise. You don't need any more description. I'll tell you how I feel about that. I used okay. to think that that was an acceptable list, and I used to, in fact, I when there was nothing on the shelf at the bookstore, I'd list the same audiobooks over and over again because that's all I had. Um, and I'd listen to those Star Wars and Star Trek ones, and I'd think, wow, this is much better than listening to the radio. Um, but um, if you go back and listen to them now, the, the stories are very poorly abridged, so that it, sometimes it can be very difficult to follow the story. Um, and 
what I appreciate are usually that they've got a, a good actor uh, performing the characters so that at least the characters come through. In the case of the Star Trek ones, often they will get a Star Trek actor to do the the reading. And in that case, um, you get to see uh, Worf doing his best Riker. Mm. And that's kind of interesting. <laughs> but um, I, I, I wouldn't say they're uh, good audiobooks. I think they're they're interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I like, you know, we have a Star Trek page. And I, I did the Star Trek page because <laughs> I was more of a fan of those than you were. Uh, but I, I was it. a fan. I am no longer a fan. How about you? were. You were. Okay. I, I am still. Uh-huh. If they were, if they were still publishing them, I'd still be listening to them, but they're not anymore. Um, but the uh, I listed my five favorites on there, and um, one of the one of the best audiobooks I've heard, and one that I still I probably listen to it once a year, is Q Squared by um, Peter David John Delancey by reading John Delancey. Yeah. yeah, it's a fantastic audiobook, and it's it's complex. And it is a bridge to three hours, but um, whoever abridged it, it was a good job. Okay, but with that said, you know, we were talking about Neil Stevenson. Mm-hmm. I still, it's important if, uh, if anybody wants to run out and, and buy those uh, Snow Crash and uh, the Diamond Age. Um, for a while, uh, the major publishers, they, they didn't want to do just on a bridge. I, I still don't understand the reason. I, I'm assuming some sales reason. <laughs> well, the, the uh, market Snow, couldn't Snow support Crash, it. Right. Both Snow Crash and the Diamond Age are published in unabridged and abridged versions. Okay, very important to get the unabridged version. Um, both of them are available on Audible. Oh, really? So, you know, they if you go to Audible version. and you look up Snow Crash, there's two versions there. Um, I don't even know if they're read by the same person. Um, but make sure you get the unabridged versions. Good um, advice. Yeah. But Neil Stevenson, you know, I, 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 I just really enjoy him. So I, I'm looking forward to this and that. So you're saying uh, I can't have that one. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I will I will send you an abridgment. <laughs> You'll I, make I your own record, personal abridgment. For <laughs> I will record uh, several sections and, uh, you know, send it to you. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so, just don't anyway, make the review of it 900 pages. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it'll be it'll be one sentence. Which is too long. <laughs> awesome. Awesome will be the, say the review. Too long. <laughs> That's going to be the entire review. Yeah. All right. Hey, you so, know, it's got a picture of a monk-looking guy on the front. I mean, surely that means it's going to be good. I'm a big fan of LibriVox, um, mm-hmm. but I think you are less so a big fan of LibriVox. Well, I, I less so, but I haven't. Don't think I've heard a single title. That's why you're not a big <laughs> fan of LibriVox is because you haven't That's heard a single true. title. Dude, I feel like I need to tread carefully because you know I'm in the amateur theater, mm-hmm. and 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 all these you know amateur folks reading audiobooks and stuff like that, you know. Definitely, I'm all for it, right? Mm-hmm. Go for it, you know, enjoy it. But if I had a choice between listening to Anathem by Neil Stevenson or something from LibriVox, you know, I'm going to choose Anathem by Neil Stevenson. I, you know, I have limited listening okay. time. Okay. And and that that's that's really where I'm coming from. It's not, but, you know, that I'm against it in any way. All right. 
I mean, more power to everybody. But let her rip now. Say, say you've finished an album and you're looking for something else to listen to. Okay. Um, you're this looking, giant pile of stuff. Ah, forget, <laughs> pretend, pretend you don't work for SFF Audio. Pretend you. Oh, okay. Pretend you're just a poor person who uh, likes audiobooks, but you know you come from a third world country and your MP3 player is made out of spit and bailing wire. Okay. <laughs> you're right. downloading stuff uh, uh, through your. Wi-Fi, and you're hoping to get something free. Well, mm-hmm. LibriVox is a great place. Now, as you're saying, you know, sometimes the narration is not that great. It's true. But mm-hmm. uh, in other cases, it's excellent. Or, if not excellent, very, very good. Um, one of the releases this week was Space Viking, which I think has the best title of any LibriVox title ever, <laughs> um, by H. Beam Piper. This is a 1960-something novel um, about, you got it, Space Vikings. And Space I, I, Vikings. I wrote in the description, I think, you know, like, uh, uh, let's see, how's it go? Ah, uh, yes, this is my little description. Uh, the Federation has collapsed, and now a savage barbarian commands the mighty starship Enterprise. He and his crew have looted a thousand worlds. Can anyone stop the Space Viking? Um it, it's funny, the story uh, in the first chapter, we find out about this new fancy new ship uh, called the Enterprise, and uh, the the uh, the Galactic Federation um, has collapsed. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's sort of a um, pre and post uh, Star Trek galaxy. No kidding. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was meant to be so, or no, no. Um, it's, it was written before Star Trek, so okay. So maybe Roddenberry read this one. Right? Uh, very unlikely. Uh, just Enterprise is not that uncommon a name for gotcha for, uh, spaceship. Um, uh-huh. And uh, you know, Galactic Federation's not a new idea, but um, uh, I I wrote up this big post about about space Viking and it's mm-hmm. all, it's all complete this is one of our SFF audio challenge uh, titles a second challenge title so Mark Nelson just won himself a uh, a new audiobook from our handy dandy collection Rick's gonna have to uh, send him one from the big stack of stuff we got all right um, and he, Mark Nelson is the same guy who did uh, our first challenge completed title which was uh, the Green Odyssey which I don't think you've even heard yet still have you? I have not. Well, I have not. Another one you... See, now you're making me feel guilty. Uh, See, because Green Odyssey this, this, rocks. Space this sounds interesting. It's going to be yeah. great. Um, it definitely sounds interesting. Yeah. I can't, you know... Wait. H.B. and Piper's no slouch. Um, in fact, um, to follow that up, I, I wrote a big uh, post about all his um, public domain releases, all the commercial releases. So we've got a new author's page for H.B. and Piper. Um, I found this really cool article about him... Um, on the net somewhere. Uh, do you see it there? It's just above. It's uh, sa- Saturday, September 6, 2008. I've got a picture of him from the article. <laughs> and it's a really interesting article. You can see there's a PDF uh, download for it. Um, and okay. in, the, yep. in the post I wrote, everybody's talking about the new movie Watchmen. Meanwhile, I'm thinking of writing about a real Watchmen, a night Watchmen, who wrote science fiction, fantasy, and mystery. That's right. I've just added a new author page for H. Beam Piper. Um, so uh, I wrote up a little bio for him and I rounded up all the 
uh, releases, almost all, on LibriVox. Almost everything he wrote is in the public domain now, it looks like. He died in 1964. Uh-oh. Killed himself in 1964. Hmm. Um, and sort of an interesting, uh, interesting uh, story. He was a, a big gun collector and uh, swords collector. He collected like ancient, um, ancient weapons and modern weapons. Uh-huh. Um, and in this picture, as you can see, he's, he's holding a gun. In the interview um, with him in this magazine article from the 1950s, um, he talks about being a night watchman working for. Uh, it's a railroad company. Actually, the, the magazine that it's from is the internal magazine of the company. So it's, uh-huh. it's, you know, it's for employees, about employees. And um, he talks about being an author and how working on, uh, as a night watchman uh, is, is great for being a writer because he can, he can uh, think about his story problems uh, while he's walking his beat and, <laughs> um, and then uh, write during the day. Because he's um, yeah. Have you heard of uh, Brandon Sanderson? Okay. He's he's got a his first audiobook is on the way out. He's a fantasy writer. He's actually been tapped to finish the Robert Jordan series. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what you just said reminded me of him because he said that uh, he was a, a night clerk at a hotel for a while, and he said, "Yeah, that was excellent." If you're a writer, <laughs> I heard so, uh, another guy. Um, uh, Names escaping me now, but a Canadian science fiction writer was saying the best, the best uh, job you can have as a science fiction writer day job is a uh, school bus driver. Hmm. And the logic was, um, uh, you you get a car to drive around. <laughs> right? You can you can stop on your way home or on your on your way into work um, with the bus. Um, uh, you uh, you get a Benefits, at least in Canada, you get uh, pretty good benefits being a school bus driver. Um, you um, you get a big block of of the mi- in the middle of the day where you can do a lot of writing, right? In between mm-hmm. the driving kids to school and picking up kids from school, um, and then uh, I don't know. There's a couple other benefits, but I think I think that's a he was like dead serious. This is a great job if you want to be a <laughs> Uh, school, uh, school bus driver, perfect job for a writer. All right, noted. <laughs> so, <laughs> find your your nearest school and see if they have a job opening. I just finished very recently. I finished uh, Joe Haldeman's new uh, new audiobook release called um, uh, "The Accidental Time Machine." Ah, yeah. Which is uh, one of sci-fi audios imprints yeah. uh, from recorded books. Yes. Uh-huh. Excellent, excellent reading. Um, very fast-moving, not too long, about six mm-hmm. CDs, seven CDs. I'm going to write up a review for it, but this is this is the kind of science fiction book I want more published of. Fast-moving, full of interesting ideas, well-written. Um, uh, it's It's not a comedy, but it's very... Uh, light. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a time travel story in which a uh, uh, MIT um, graduate student in- accidentally invents a time machine. Unfortunately, it can only travel into the future. And every time he uh, presses the go button, he travels 12 times farther than he did before. So the first time he uses it, it disappears for just a second or so. 
On second time, just disappears for 12 seconds. Third time, you know, a few minutes. Fourth time, mm-hmm. it's gone hours. Fifth time, oh, it's gone for three days. Wow. Um, and so he's like, oh, okay. Well, uh, I wonder what this is good for. Well, he gets himself into some trouble um, when he's experimenting with it, and so he, he has to escape to the future. And um, he does. But uh, so it's it's kind of like a tour of a tour of the future. It's in in a way, if you think about it, it's actually kind of similar to portions of uh, Joe Haldeman's most famous novel, The Forever War, in which a human um, travels relativistically um, out to fight wars, and then every time he comes back to Earth, um, the Earth has changed radically because of time uh-huh. dilation. So he can he can come back. Uh, well, in the in the accidental time machine, the problem is is his time machine only goes into the future. However, mm-hmm. um, as he's been traveling into the future, um, uh, people start to expect his arrival, which is kind of strange. Um, and then uh, at one point, um, he gets thrown in jail, and um, he's thinking he's done, right? Uh, but luckily, some mysterious stranger um, shows up and bails him out writes him a note and bails him out. And when he does some inquiries as to who this perfect stranger was, turns out to be a guy who looks a little bit like him. So huh. he thinks, well, uh, there's no, huh, there's no uh, time machine here in the present that can fulfill my, uh, my desire to return to the past. So um, maybe if I keep going to the future, they'll invent the technology. So huh. it's, a, it's a very interesting premise. It's a bit different from uh, time travel stories done before. Um, and it's excellent, excellent read. It's going to, I'm thinking it's deserving and essential, even though it's, uh, it is, as I was saying, very light. Uh-huh. Well, that's great. It's got, um, it's, it's got some really powerful uh, scenes, ideas, um, and yet, you know, when you're done with it, you're like, yeah, this is a great little peppy novel. Hey, there was a, I mean, that reminded me of a story in the uh, Writers of the Future 23, which is the one I listened to last year, mm-hmm. and it was called Our Last Words by Damon Caswell, okay. and <clears throat> what it's about, it's about, a, it's, it's a time machine kind of in the same vein, right? He gets in there, and he can go into the future, you know, and, and at the same time, it's somehow exponential, okay? But he's supposed to go into the future as a soldier, and figure out what um, what this the enemy's doing, you know. So he goes into the future, and the enemy has basically a, a nuclear war has broken out. So basically, the world is you know embers, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he can't go back. So he goes forward, and he goes forward, and he goes oh, forward. And, it does sound similar. Um, yeah, and it's fascinating because he goes into the far, far future. And uh, interesting story. Damon Caswell, Our Last Words. I, I really liked it. Hmm. That does Writers sound good. The Future 23. Yeah. That's out on Audible, is it? Yeah, it is. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah. So. Oh, uh, what else am I listening to? Uh, so I sure. finished, I told you, I told you I finished uh, Accidental Time Machine. That's finished. Mm-hmm. However, um, I'm st- I started listening to a new. Uh, a new book by a new author, um, another one from the Sci-Fi Audio Collection, Peter Watts, Blind Sight. Ah. And um, this is 
uh, I'm liking it. It's it's pretty yeah. uh, powerful. Um, I can see why it got nominated for uh, Hugo or Nebula. Did it did it win anything? I don't know. No, I, I know it didn't win a Hugo or Nebula, but I know. I mean, it's got really strong reviews. People like it a lot. Yeah, it's um, it's got a it's got a whole lot of ideas. It's set um in the uh, future. Let's say maybe 100, 200, 300 years from now. Um, Earth's quite a bit different, and the main character is a um, uh, a man who's had half his brain removed uh, due to, I believe, he was having um, seizures as a child, and so they had a radical uh, hemispherectomy on him. Um, And so his personality's been uh, changed since when he he was a kid. Um, But this has given him what appears to be, and it might be mentioned in the story, I I didn't actually hear that part yet, but uh, he appears to have something like uh, mirror syndrome, which is a, um, it's a, not quite a disease, it's it's something that happens to uh, certain people with brain disorders, in which they are uh, mirroring your personality. They are uh, observers of personality quirks, uh, actions, behaviors, um, and are able to fit into their surroundings by mirroring the um, emotions and attitudes of the people around them. They don't have uh, uh, strong emotions of their own, but Mm -hmm. they are able to appear to have them by mirroring those from people around them. Um, this is uh, is like um, picking up on subconscious uh, things and making them actively in control of your personality. So body language tells you a lot about what what people's attitudes are and facial expression, etc. And this guy has um, rewired had his brain rewired so that he is particularly good at this, which makes him a perfect candidate for. Um, uh, going to visit the aliens that have come to the edge of the solar system, and uh, on board the ship with him is a vampire uh, who's been re- genetically uh, reconstructed uh, archaeologically, I guess, um, uh, but has to wear special glasses um, because, see, the reason vampires died out is because they're allergic to right angles. So, hmm. a crucifix cannot. Uh, can can uh, freak out a vampire and give them uh, epileptic seizures because uh, they, they don't see a lot of right angles um, and right angles make them crazy. So they have to wear special glasses to make uh, everything look mirror, uh, funhouse mirror style or something. Um, a bunch of other um, people on board uh, are all, again, misfits of humanity. Um, and we get sort of a um, uh, two steps forward in the story, one step back in the sense that uh, as the story progresses, when we learn about these new aliens, we also learn about uh, our main character's backstory, about his his growing up, and about the Earth that they've all left. And um, it's full of um, uh, Canadianisms. Uh, Peter Watts, I guess, must be Canadian, because uh, a lot of ca- characters end their sentences with A. And uh, the... Um, the uh, just the sort of banter they have is very Canadian, but um, a lot of the um, the plot twists and turns 
are very much what you want them to be for uh, sort of a hard SF novel. Um, we get one of the one of the things that the paradigms that's used is talking about the um, Chinese room. Do you know about this this idea? Um, um, no, it doesn't sound familiar to me. Chinese Chinese the room. Chinese room. Um, there's a uh, uh, school of thought in philosophy. There was a school of thought in philosophy that um, artificial intelligence is not possible. Um, and, and to illustrate why it's not possible, a, um, a philosopher came up with this idea of the Chinese room. The Chinese room is uh, a way to explain how, um, even though something that appears to be intelligent um, actually is not. And so the way it works is you have a, um, a man who's in a room. He doesn't speak Chinese, but he's in a room full of uh, books and um, drawers full of books shelves full of books, all in Chinese. And on each of the spines of these books is a little symbol of some kind. And what he does is he is the uh, little man in this room who does translation, but he doesn't understand Chinese. So what happens Mm -hmm. in one door, uh, under one door, someone slides in a Chinese note, right, Um, Mm -hmm. in Chinese. He picks up that note. He takes it over to a table, looks at the symbols, and then finds corresponding symbols on the shelves in the room, uh, looks them up in the book, finds the right page number, and on a separate piece of paper, writes down the appropriate response. Then he takes that piece of paper and puts it into a little slot under another door, and we now have a translation from one language to another, or uh, an appropriate response to a question that came in from under the door. So okay. now this is designed to show that the the man doesn't really understand what he's doing. A computer, and this is what computers do. Computers take information that is programmed into them and move them from one place to another, doing calculation and addition very efficiently, but they don't understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? This is a very powerful yeah. idea, a very interesting um, idea, and this shows up in the story. Um, however, uh, this story, this uh, analogy from philosophy is also um, famously incorrect, or at least that's the way most people interpret it. Because if you think about it, sure, the man doesn't understand Chinese, but that's like saying a neuron in your brain doesn't understand English. Of course, a neuron in your brain doesn't understand English, but the room understands Chinese. Right? The room, Uh the function that is happening within that Chinese room is a translating device. It is Mm -hmm. perfectly intelligent. It it understands. Um, And in the same way, your mind can understand. There isn't uh, a separate... A, a separation between your mind and your neurons that we would say, well, clearly, since this neuron doesn't understand English, you don't understand English. That's that's a homunculus problem. And so that actually turns up in the story as a um, uh, they start talking to this alien, but the alien speaks perfect English, and they, they have a big surprise as to why it does that. And the alien spaceship even has an English name. And they're like, ha. Are these people uh, human beings from the future? What's going on here? 
So hmm. it's a, it's a, they uh, shortly figure out that they're talking to a Chinese room. Um, that oh. is something that is intelligent, or at least appears to be intelligent, but perhaps doesn't understand uh, what it's talking about. Yeah, sounds interesting yeah, yeah. to me. So I'm, I'm enjoying that about halfway through uh, uh, Blindsight. Oh, great. What about you? Sounds what are you good. listening to? Well, me, I just finished Spin finally yesterday, mm-hmm. trying to find time to listen, and I uh, wrote a review of it last night. Great. <clears throat> now, Spin, it won the Hugo Award in 2006, mm-hmm. written by Robert Charles Wilson, who is Canadian. Um, he's got a lot of co- in common, I think, with Robert J. Sawyer mm-hmm. in kind of the, the way that they write, meaning um, there's a lot of really good science stuff in it, you know, a lot of good hard science stuff in it, but they also write the... Uh, the human story. Mm-hmm. So, um, in in this book, Spin, you know, it, I wrote in the review. It's it's kind of in my mind. It's a book that's split into two halves. Um, in one half, you've got this hard science fiction story, which is absolutely as awe inspiring as anything Clark ever wrote. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely fantastic. You know, uh, rev, you know, uh, revelation after revelation. You know, these little nuggets of um, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow, mm-hmm. you know, kind of stuff. Now what what the spin is, at the very beginning of the book, the Earth is put into this membrane that basically puts the Earth in, in a kind of a stasis where um, the time on, on the Earth inside the membrane moves much slower than the time in the rest of the universe. Right. So basically a few seconds um, for us here on Earth, maybe a couple of years out in space um but this membrane is protecting over the earth and we don't see the stars anymore mm-hmm. um the whoever's done it has figured out uh, they put an artificial sun inside the membrane mm-hmm. so everything seems to work normally except for we can no longer see the stars or people can no longer see the stars and um time is really cruising fast you know uh empires are falling you know Outside the Earth. In in days, yeah, outside the Earth. And um, so you've got that, and it's absolutely fascinating hard science fiction. You know, did did somebody do this to us? Did, uh, how does it work? You know, um, all these questions are being asked by scientists. Now, the other half of the story um, is basically the story of three people. At the beginning of the book, they are um, kids, basically laying on a lawn looking up at the sky when the stars disappear. And these three kids, you know, they grow up and their life is changed by what they, the, the, the characters in the novel call this whole membrane thing. They call it the spin. Mm-hmm. And um, their lives are changed. Um, how they decide to live their lives after that moment is altered by that moment. And that is an interesting thing. Um, the unfortunate thing is that the story of the lives of the three people was not nearly as interesting to me as the story of the spin and what was going on in the hard science fiction way. So I, I found myself wanting to skim. Mm. You know, If I was reading it in print, I would be skimming um, to get to more stuff about the spin. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, you, you were talking about how David Brin, um, one time, uh, Star Tide Rising, you felt like all the action was somewhere else. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that in the spin, because although one of the three kids is a scientist who is intimately involved with figuring this stuff out, 
the story is told in first person through one of the others. And basically, there's a lot of things like, you know, hey, what's going on? Well, this is what's going oh, on. Terrible. And it's, yeah, it's it's fascinating stuff. You know, I, I totally understand why it won a Hugo Award because, again, it's it's as good as anything Clark ever wrote in the awe-inspiring grandness of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and how... Uh, something else out there can can do things that we can't possibly understand we can't understand their reasons and we can't possibly understand their technology and uh you know just the idea of that makes you know is awe-inspiring to me i i love feeling that when i read a novel but the focus what isn't wasn't where i wanted it to be and you know i i, I like a good character driven story and this story wasn't bad by any means but I just kept wanting to go back. It's just like, ah, I want to go back there. You know, so every time, you know, he threw a nugget out there, I was like, oh, wow, you know, that's really something. And then he'd go back to these, you know, the, the relationships between these three people. And I was like, oh. I, I once listened to, or actually, I guess it was read, um, read a book. Uh, it sounds similar, a similar problem. I was really enjoying um chapters with one character and then this other chapter would come on and I'd go like this is terrible and that's uh, I about halfway through I started uh just looking at the next chapter to see who was who was in this chapter and uh mm. yeah. um yeah, I actually if, if finished I was... the novel just by reading the one chapter that was good <laughs> yeah um if I was reading the book in print I I would have skimmed you know and and that I I consider that in fact I wrote this in the review I consider that a positive of an audiobook that you can't skim it, you know. Yeah. Because if well, I were if I were though. to move forward, you know, if it was broken up by chapters and I could move forward or something, it, it, it's not like I could just do that and then get all the cool stuff that I wanted. Um, but I consider that a plus because, you know, you can skim a novel, but it's not it's not always the same as uh, you know reading the novel. And in an audiobook, you know, if you're paying attention the whole time, you are getting the entire thing, and my impression of this novel would have been different had it had I only skimmed it. You know what I mean? Okay. Because I, it, it was worthwhile. I'm not saying that it wasn't. I'm just saying that I was... And, and the story wasn't bad by any means. None of it was bad. <laughs> I'm just saying that I was way more interested in the spin. Way more interested. You know, I mean, the... You know, if it was nothing but the spin stuff, I would have, you know definitely raved about it but i'm not saying that the story was bad and by any means it, it's definitely worth reading isn't there a sequel uh, in the in the works or there is nope. yeah in fact i think it's on audible as well it's called axis right you're gonna follow up on that one um i may i've got a number of things in the list right now um if i do it'll be later okay cool cool mm-hmm. and okay so next Basically, I've got um, that short story collection, um, L. Ron Hubbard. I've started that. And I also am going to listen to uh, This Immortal, which is another Audible Frontiers title. Zelazny. Zelazny. It's only six hours long, and I need to. I'm actually listening to that for Audiophile Magazine. Okay. So I need to get that out of the way pretty quick, too. So I'll probably have to listen to that in between. Well, I, need, I want to get that done this week, too, but it's only six hours long, so. Sounds good. It's unabridged as well. Another audio, Audible Frontiers title. And then, 
yeah. Well, after that, we'll see what I do next. But right. <laughs> now you listen to you know you listen to several audiobooks at once, don't you? Yeah, usually. <laughs> yeah, talk about your habits. I, I'm I'm pretty much a one audiobook at a time person. <laughs> but as I understand your listening habits, um, you know, you may have one in the car. One in the bathroom or whatever. Or yeah. How does that work? Yeah. Well, um, my car CD player has uh, given up the ghost after 18 years. So. Um, oh no. Yeah, I tend to put everything on my iPod that is going to be portable. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so I, I don't listen to a separate one in the car usually anymore. But um, I still have uh, I have a cassette player <coughs> in my kitchen. Um, it's got a George R. R. Martin book that i've been listening to for uh probably three years because the thing is like 47 oh, cassettes or something yeah crazy. it's one of those uh, uh song of ice and fire books yeah Are you still on number two a clash of or number three i'm looking at yeah that's number two. Oh my god um are you are you liking too it long. or not it's okay it's okay it's just too long um i love i love those it, books I, I feel like i'm reading Timujin's biography or something it's it's like uh every every uh Every little detail about everything that's happening in this fictional kingdom, um, yeah. and I, I can see how this would appeal to a lot of people. Um, me, I'm like uh, um, thinking uh, that if if Tolkien could fit uh, three novels into the like the one of uh, George R. R. Martin's, it's probably because Tolkien had um, a lot more skill. Um, I, uh, but I don't think that's true. I think what it is is the market has changed. Uh, Tolkien didn't write the, that book for him, uh, you know, for a market. He wrote it for himself and uh, for his friends. And um, now, now people are writing to make a living, and they're doing what the market tells them, which is what their editors tell them, which is write long, write, hmm. write long, long, long. The, bo- the books always start off short and they get longer. Right? You, to sell <laughs> your first true. novel, you sh- write a short one. Then, if that does well, we'll, we'll double the size until uh, you can you can just write whatever, and we don't we won't edit it at all. Is is my thinking? So, <laughs> gotcha. Uh, I think that explains why books are much longer than they used to be. Well, I, I applaud you for sticking with it. I did. Oh. That's, that's awesome. I, I'm, I'm thinking like there's there's got to be some point at which I go, um, I give up on it. But every <laughs> once in a while, I, I'm in the kitchen and I don't have uh, something to listen to, uh, mm-hmm. so I'll play that. Yeah, I I, I do listen um, portably uh, using my iPod a lot, and that's good for the Audible downloads. It's also good for CD uh, CDs ripped to to uh, to the iPod. And uh, I do listen in the shower, brushing my teeth. My teeth are in very good condition because I, I can, if I've got a good audio book, I can, I can brush away for a while and floss and swish and, um, and uh, I, I usually have uh, something at the bedside too. I tend to listen to audio drama uh, right before I go to sleep. Hmm. Um, audio drama, or radio drama. Um, some um, it it makes it difficult though because I'm just starting to enjoy and then I I, I disappear right yeah I, I go into yeah. dreamland um uh, I actually promised I would mention uh one of the ones I was listening to 
um, there's this show from the Sonic Society, a podcast out of Canada here, uh, that does audio drama, and they've been doing a, they did a series this summer called Gate, which you would actually probably like. I know you 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 are a snob when it comes to uh, uh, audio drama. You like to have your audio drama done by pros. Uh <laughs> Oh, I, 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 I like my audio drama to have good actors. Yes. <laughs> um, if, uh, if, if, you know, the Sonic Society has great actors? Um, awesome. They have, some, they have some pretty good actors. I mean, they're amateurs. Yeah. They're not getting paid uh, big bucks for their, for their theatrical uh, uh, skills. Oh, of course, you know. And again, you know, I'm in, I'm in community theater, for heaven's sake. That's so what like, I'm I, saying. So how can you yeah. be a snob, you know? That's exactly right. <laughs> It's again. It's a time issue. It's like you know what. I oh, yeah. What do I? You know I I uh, I don't listen to audiobooks nearly as quickly as you do. You know if I get an hour a day, that's that's great. Well, you shouldn't have gone for that whole family thing. And you just skip that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been listening to Gate, which is a uh, it's a series inspired by Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, mm-hmm. It's not it's not a rip off of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It's set in I think it's set in Halifax, which is. Uh, not California, um, and uh, it's it's kind of like. Uh, did you listen to Wormwood at all? No, um, no, no, okay. I didn't. Wormwood is a, a I, series I'm set familiar with what it is. in uh, set uh, somewhere in California, and um, it's a very good audio drama um, uh, with with semi professional actors or professional actors who are not getting paid for this particular gig, um, or if they are, not very much. Um, and it's kind of like that. It's it's got an overarching overarching plot. Uh, each of the episodes stands on its own pretty well, um, and it's a mystery, um, but with a fant- with a lot of fantastic elements. Um, Wormwood is more uh, horror, and and Gate is more fantastic, more fantasy. Um, but yeah, definitely worth checking out. And. Um, well, maybe not for you since you, you're so busy, but uh, for everybody else, <laughs> definitely worth checking out. I'm going to see if I can write something up about it. Um, I was talking to Jack Ward. He said that he's going to be putting it on audiobooks, so um, that's going to make it a lot easier for people to get. They mm-hmm. they were having a few feed problems at the beginning of the of the summer when they, they started it, so it made it difficult for people to start it. So I, I'm thinking, you know, the whole uh, argument of saying that, you know, uh, bad acting is is uh, bad. Uh, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only real sin you can commit is uh, to bore me. Uh huh. Um, to, to well, yeah. I can let me explain that further because, um, you know, again, I'm in community theater, which which means that uh, you know I am probably a bad actor myself, <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> Okay, so, but... Um, As in you have bad intentions, right? Exactly. You're trying to go around. Exactly. Pure, pure evil. But if I'm listening to an audio drama, there's nothing more important than that. You know, and, and, and we've talked about this, too. If, if, if I'm listening to an audio book, there's nothing more important to me than the narrator. Well, you know, obviously the story has to be good, too, right? <laughs> but if, if I'm listening to an audio book and the narrator is not good... At this point, you know, having heard so many audiobooks, I just like you know, I'd rather read it in print. 
you know, then because the experience, whenever, boy, I'm not explaining myself very well. The, 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 the best audiobook experience, like I had with the spin, mm-hmm. or not the spin, spin, <laughs> there's no the, mm-hmm. but like I had with spin by Robert Charles Wilson, when I'm listening to it, it becomes an immersive thing. Okay, it's almost like when when I hit the best of audiobooks, my brain can is totally engaged with this audiobook and I can still do other things. It's almost like it insists that I hear it. Yep. When I'm listening to it. And that that is the best audiobook experience that there is. Mm-hmm. Okay. A bad narrator it takes a lot of effort to listen to. I agree. Okay. So I would rather read it in print. I would rather read the author without the narrator in between. Okay. Now, a good audiobook, if it's got a good narrator, I would always rather hear it than read it. Okay. Now, with audio drama, if if there's poor acting, and it's the same thing in movies too. You know, when I see a movie, you know, with Keanu Reeves in it, I'm always like, "Holy cow! How did this guy get famous?" Do you know what I mean? Because he constantly pulls me right out of it. You know, it, it, it takes effort for me to ignore that. I, ignore the fact that he's not believable. Whoa. And try to accept the rest of it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I, so I, in, I, in, a, in a poor audio drama, that's, that's what the audio drama is. Is It's supposed to be an immersive experience where, you know, you can sit back and close your eyes and you listen to an audio drama and you're, you know, you're practically... It, it, it's better than a movie. The, the best audio drama is better than a movie because it's like you're right there. You know, you're almost like in the middle of it, and it's a 360 degree experience that's happening all around you. And no matter where you look in your mind, you are there. You know, so um, if if there's bad acting, and I it it prevents my believability. Which prevents my immersive experience, which, means which you makes it a negative it. experience. Yeah, I, yeah. I hear you. Okay. I hear you. I hear you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was uh, I was talking uh, on another podcast about um, Michael Caine the other day. Um, mm-hmm. Michael Caine is one of my favorite actors. Um, yeah, he's fantastic. He's uh, he's he's you know when, he, when he's on screen he dominates the show. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen the new Batman movie. Um, I heard good things about it. I also heard some bad things about it. Steen hated it, um, but. Uh, I tend to see every Michael Caine movie just because I like Michael Caine so much, whether mm-hmm. the movie's any good or not. Um, but I was realizing that sometimes it doesn't have anything to do with the actor. I watched a movie called The Swarm very recently, um, which is a 1970-something production by Irwin Allen, I guess one of his last ones. Um, uh-huh. You know, the guy who did The Towering Inferno and all those... Uh, right. You know, Early, yeah. early disaster Poseidon movies. Adventure. Yeah, Poseidon Adventure and all those. He, he also right. did like, um, I think, a TV show, Land of the Lost or something like that. Anyway, he, he liked models. He liked doing model explosions and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. this is this is a movie about uh, a swarm of killer bees uh, that comes, uh, you know, uh, honey honeybees from Brazil by, by way of Africa. Killer African honeybees. And... Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like a, a disaster movie where the disaster's you know rather annoying rather than <laughs> deadly. Um, right. But uh, uh, Michael Caine's the star, and I thought, oh, I'm buying this. 
I bought it for you know five bucks or whatever it was, and uh-huh. um, maybe it might have. <laughs> maybe I disproved the rule where Michael Caine can make uh, a movie entertaining just. Because um, I swear this is one of the worst li- worst movies I've ever seen. Just <laughs> badly, like the scenes with Michael Caine. I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, why are his pauses so bad? Why why are uh-huh. his, his emotions so bad? Well, it might be the writing. You know, I think that it, the writing was just so bad that you know he's he's doing his best with the material he's given. And yeah. I think there is a lot of badly written audio drama out there, um, and that. Uh, having bad actors uh, do bad audio drama might make it uh, bad, but it also might be that okay actors can't make bad material good. So yeah. it might be that the problem that you're perceiving is could it be that 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 the um, the the writing isn't up to snuff? Well, than, yeah, um, I mean the, the writing, bad. yeah. The, you know, absolutely. The, the writing has to be good too. You know, because you can't you can't possibly say a line that's unnatural in a way that's believable. You know, um, I mean, look at uh, Star Wars Episode One, for example. Um, even Liam Neeson, you know, he did his best. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I mean, he's he's a great actor. He's absolutely wonderful. But um, you know. <laughs> I sense no danger here. You know, come on. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, with with uh, if you know, gosh, I don't know. Star Wars is a whole other subject, but it's just like, man, if he if he could have just run those scripts through some other people and polished that dialogue, boy, would that have done wonders for that. But um, really, it's just. Uh, but but I agree with it. Yeah, the writing has to be up to snuff too. That reminds me of a little video I saw this week. Um, uh, there's a uh, YouTube video showing um, Darth Vader uh, confronting Luke Skywalker on, I guess it's on Return of the Jedi, where Luke comes down to the uh, to the moon of Endor and, and gives Darth Vader his sword and surrenders and says, you know, I'm not going to kill you, Father, or whatever. And um, what's what's been done is all the, the tracks uh, of... Darth Vader speaking have been removed and replaced with um, uh, James Earl Jones lines from Conan, the bar- the barbarian, oh. the first movie. Um, mm-hmm. In that movie, he plays a character named Thalsa Doom, who's also a big evil ba- baddie. And uh-huh. um, uh, the the lines are uh, not completely inappropriate. It actually fits in quite well with the with the script, and and it's not because. Um, it's not because the the movies are all that similar. It's just because sort of we're having a confrontation scene, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And James Earl Jones has got you know he's got a, a he's got good acting chops, but um, uh, yeah, I, and Star Wars isn't made by the dialogue. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I've I've heard it said before too. I mean, um, it's like film film is a director's medium. Not a writer's medium, mm-hmm. and um, stage theater is an actor's medium. Yep. Not, I mean, not a writer's medium. The writer's medium is the novel. So, I mean, a, a writer can do things in a novel that they can't do on stage or so, uh, audio movies. Are so, the narrator's medium. <laughs> in a way, why not? Why not? Absolutely true. I think that sometimes I, I was writing about uh, Mark, the way Mark Nelson um, 
narrates. He's the guy, Mark Douglas Nelson now is his, his narrating title. Um, he's the guy who did the Green Odyssey and this Space Viking. He's, he's right. more the traditional um, straight reading kind of guy. He doesn't do a, uh, a lot of um, voice uh, tricks or he's just he's reading a story. And he does all the things that the story um, does. He changes his voice slightly for females, and he changes his voice slightly for aliens. And but he he's more of a transparent uh, narrator than a lot of you know. Like if you get the the uh, TV actors, the movie actors, they do the narration. They want to perform the 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 audiobook, and mm-hmm. and sometimes I like that. I I, I like both styles, but um, yeah. It's it's interesting because sometimes, like when you were re- listening, when you were talking about spin, you didn't mention the narrator once. You didn't mention uh, the narrator, and I'm thinking that means that the narrator was of the transparent style. Is that right? Yeah, and that, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. that's kind why of sometimes of it's hard to review these things because if if you can't think of anything to comment on about the narrator, then the narrator did an excellent job. Yeah, oft, oftentimes yeah. Um, the only thing you have to comment on are any mistakes, you know. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the narrator repeated this liner. Pron- pronunciation seems to be the really big issue. Yeah, and that, you know, that kind of pulls you out, too. Yeah. You know, I, I heard a story on uh, I think it was, it must have been NPR or something like that, where they were talking about uh, some words, you know, sometimes you learn a word in your childhood and you don't realize that you're mispronouncing it until you hit a situation where somebody uh, notices it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, for example, misled. Okay, the, the word misled. For my entire life, I've been reading that word when I see it in print as missled. <laughs> and I thought missled was a word that meant misled. It never yeah. occurred to me that it was misled. And then I said it in a sentence out loud one time. And somebody he, said, He what? missled me. <laughs> yeah. They said, what? You know, so yeah. then, you know, you realize, no, that was misled. And you go, oh, you know, and then it's like, I can't believe I've been doing that my whole life. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm sure, you know, some narrators run into that kind of stuff where they've, they they see a word in print and they they read it differently. You know, I think misled is probably are, the uh, most common one. Uh, yeah, it's not the one that that uh, strikes me, but uh, that reminds me of a story. Uh, um, a friend of mine, uh, his his uh, landlord, um, uh, was uh, brought up. I don't know how it came up in top common conversation, but we're talking about the word O R G Y. Mm-hmm. Spell, uh, pronounce it for me. Orgy? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess they are talking about something. And uh, they, they're having a conversation, and um, he, he, uh, my friend couldn't understand what the hell he was talking about. He said, um, you know, he says, yeah, I've never been to an orgy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, it's probably because you don't know how to pronounce it, sir. Uh, um, That's half the battle. Huh? Yeah. Um, uh, you know. Uh, one of the problems with being an autodidact, uh, someone who teaches themselves uh, uh, everything, is uh, the pronunciation doesn't often come with it. So um, mm. uh, I, I learned a lot of archaic words from reading uh, Conan the Barbarian, Savage Sword of Conan. Um, it's got a lot of sort of the ancient, ancient English words, uh, old English words uh, that aren't used very much anymore. And pronunciation is not, there's no pronunciation guide, so... Um, uh, hmm. you have to sort of 
go into the dictionary and look up the pronunciation. But um, gotcha. Yeah, uh, but I think the it shows up more in science fiction than it does in other kinds of audiobooks, just because there's a lot of techno babble sort of uh, you know uh, pronunciation of of scientific terms. Uh, chromium. Right. Make sure you you pronounce it correctly. What did you say? Chromium. Chromium. Yeah. Uh-huh. This is an element. Make sure you right. pronounce it correctly. Right. Do not uh, do your own interpretive dance on the, the <laughs> <laughs> pronunciation of words that are actual words. Um, I was reading that um, uh, John Varley's got some books coming out through Audible, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he was saying on his blog that he he got a call from some of the narrators who are doing his books and. Uh, they were going through talking about uh, pronunciation, which I, I think is a very good sign that Audible Frontiers is doing, um, you know, that sort of vetting, getting getting the sure. authors involved in the pronunciation. But I, I liked some of the, what he had to say. He mentioned that he uh, he didn't know how to pronounce some of the words in his own book because <laughs> you know he just wrote them. He didn't he, right. he didn't know that people were going to be pronouncing them. Um, That's right. But you know they worked out ways of how it should be pronounced. Ooh. 